What's up, guys? Welcome out to another episode of the show. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, I appreciate you. I just want to let you know that behind me, as you can see, the studio hasn't been <laughs> revamped. Um, I'm redoing my office, and we're going to be putting the stuff behind me so it's not so bare and it doesn't look so unprofessional, if you will. But the point is, I want you guys to be able to listen to our guest and get the insight from him today because he is quite phenomenal. I want to give you a, a rundown of his accolades here. He's a partner and analyst for True Hoop, which is an NBA newsletter. It's subscribed to by all 30 NBA teams and nearly every media company and agency that works with the NBA. All right. He is a former lead NBA analyst for ESPN. He's been named uh, one of the 50 most influential people in the NBA by a national publication. He's got over 30 years of experience working as a personal game development and life coach for professional basketball players. The last 20 years, he's been working with NBA basketball players. Uh, he's had over 100 of them um, that he's worked with. And he's also well known as the godfather of player development. So you want to check this out. In this interview, you're going to be uh, listening to his insight in regards to player development, what he thinks athletes should be doing, what he teaches his athletes to do. But we're also going to be learning about his recruiting business and what he's started there for young athletes. So for all those young athletes that listen to the show, uh, maybe somebody that I've coached or a parent, take advantage of the services that he provides. And I'd also encourage you guys to check out his book. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a little bit on the interview, but he has a book titled Basketball is Jazz, Stories and Lessons from a Basketball Lifer. Uh, he's given a glimpse on how basketball is best taught, played, coached, and enjoyed. So if you guys want to check that out, um, feel free to do so. I'm going to put a link here in the description for all of those things. But uh, you guys are really, really going to like this one. If you guys are basketball fans and you're just you know big about player development and life coaching, uh, you're going to want to check this one out. This is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you, as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you guys know by now, or if you don't, my name is Shane Larson. I am the host of the show. Uh, we started this six years ago in 2017, and we are still rolling 180 countries at the time of this recording. All 50 states have downloaded this podcast, and we are excited to continue to grow the show. And I, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners who have joined in. If this is your first time listening, maybe you know our guest or have heard of our guest, or maybe you saw a social media promotion and you're like, well, that sounds like an interesting inter interview. I want to listen to this one. This is your first time on. Awesome. Welcome aboard. I appreciate you guys joining. Uh, that's all I can ask for is just to take notes and listen to the interview and get what you can out of it. That's the whole reason we do this. We interview guests on a weekly basis so that they can teach us something. And as you guys heard in the introduction, I'm talking to someone super, super special. Uh, you'll, you heard it in the intro, but like I said, he is known as the godfather of player development. This man has been helping athletes uh, all for for the last thirty plus years, uh, and he's been training, you know, the NBA players for twenty years. It's like 
unbelievable. That's why he's known as the godfather of player development. And we're going to get to know a little bit more as to why. We're going to talk to him about some of his, uh, like the book that he's written. We're going to talk to him some of the, the lessons that he's learned. We're going to talk about the current state of the NBA. And we got some other uh, conversations coming your way as well uh, in regards to maybe a business that he's putting together to help younger athletes going into colleges and so forth. So I'm happy to introduce Coach David Thorpe. Uh, Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to talk basketball. It's a good time of year at March. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner. NCAA tournament's going on right now. Uh, basketball people are very happy at this time of, this time of the season. Absolutely. And at the time of this recording, man, like we just passed, like yesterday was day one of the tournament for NCAA. And oh my gosh, man, like we already see in Princeton take people down. Well, I mean, Furman was doing their thing. I mean, it's just, it's just wild. It's the best part for all basketball fans. And for myself as a, as a club basketball coach, we just started our season literally this week. We have a tournament this weekend, so it's all fun. Even though high school basketball typically ends, the best part is college basketball playoffs, like you said. And then for me, club basketball starts rocking and rolling. So coach, I kind of want to, you know, I want to rewind the clock a little bit and talk to you for a quick second about, you know, what got you into the, idea of player development, right? Because a lot of people, they might've played the game in their life, but like not always do the best players make the best coaches, right? There's that, that doesn't always translate to the, to that field of work. So I kind of want to know your background in the sport and then what kind of got you into that uh, profession of being a, you know, to help him with player development. Oh, happy. Sure. Happy to talk about that. Cause it, 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 I get a chance to talk about that. My favorite person in the world. So I, I played high school basketball for a, a really very, very, very good, tough, fundamental coach. Not a great coach uh, in games. Not a really inspirational guy. I didn't, I didn't like him very much, and and still don't. He's long passed away, but um, he definitely taught me a lot about the game, and and as well as my teammates. And and he uh, didn't make me love it though. He he made it so hard. He was kind of a Bobby Knight guy. He, they were friends actually. He was from Indiana, so really rough and ruthless, and lots of man to man defense. And um, I played. A, I I didn't play in college other than I played for my frat. I played in independent league for intramurals, which was huge. University of Florida is a, you know thirty five thousand students then, so the basketball was unbelievable. All, all those of us that played high level high school basketball, uh, our games were fantastic. Every every guy in the court was a very good player. And um, and then when I graduated college, I was even going to go to grad school out in California for sports psychology, which I thought I was going to study. I was also a writer my last year of college was going to I had an offer to to work in uh, for a football magazine, actually, in Northbrook, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Wow. And then I was that same summer. So summer of 87, probably long before you were born. Um, I was offered a coaching job from a guy that knew my high school coach who, who tracked me down and, and said, I need someone to teach our really athletic team man to man defense. It's, this guy said, I don't know, man to man. So not knowing what I was going to do, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll think about doing that. And I, I said, I tentatively accepted it. I really wasn't going to pursue it. And then that summer, July 6, 1987, actually, I took a part-time job just to, I was bored living on the beach that summer with a friend of mine from college until I decided what to do in August. And I met like the hottest girl I ever saw in my life. And I, I came home to that night. Uh, I had dinner at my parents' house who lived nearby. And I said, I met the girl I'm going to marry, which sounded ridiculous. I didn't barely know her name. She certainly didn't notice me. And I thought she was much older than me. I was 22. Well, it turns out she was only 18. She was a freshman in college. She was about to turn 19. Uh, I decided to not take the writing job and to not go to grad school because I, I just could not take my eyes off this girl. And, and she was super cool and fun, very mature. 
I just was shocked that she was a, at that point going into her sophomore year in college. She was so much more mature than me. And uh, I somehow got her to date me in October. Meanwhile, I had to do something. So I took the coaching job. And, and so really, our first real date was October 23rd of 87. My first high school game was mid-November of 87. And uh, I liked her a lot. And I, we won an overtime, my first ever JV game against a team that everyone kind of thought would kill us. And uh, I thought, oh, I, I probably can do this. And I, and I think I can keep dating her too. So I, I kept dating her. I kept coaching. We ended up having a really good high school program. We won, won three championships in four years. Our best pl- I had a number of high-level uh, college players on, the, on that program. Our best one uh, ended up going to University of Florida. He started at center for three years, helped them uh, go to the Final Four, lost to Grand Hill in, a, in the Final Four. I was there. He had 17-9 and nine in that game in a last-second loss to Grant, who was just amazing. And in the process of that, I also um, fell in love with this girl and married her. And so we're going on 33 years together in August. And um, in that process of, of being married and coaching all these good players, I met a million college coaches. They all, you know, they all recruited my players. And, and this is something you said you're coaching AAU club. Um, I also spent every summer working. I worked camps all over the country, specifically five-star camp. There was another all-star camp called the BC camp. It's since defunct. Both, both camps are pretty much gone. But I coached a ton of future NBA players there. I tried to coach 10 games a week, 100 games a summer. I coached every spring and fall league for our high school team. I was the head JV coach, assistant, varsity coach. I worked team camps for my team or other coaches sometimes would ask me, bring my team to camp just because you'll teach them stuff that I don't know how to teach. And so I was super addicted to the game. Uh, and then I started getting some opportunities to maybe coach in college. And I did not want to take a college job because of my players. I, I just That's just not how I roll. And so I felt like I need to earn it myself. And I had some really high-level opportunities. But I also had some friends from these camps I was working that was starting to get college jobs too. And it was causing some issues with their marriage. And I was very worried about that, although my wife insists I didn't need to be worried. I, I, I just didn't trust it. So in 1993, I left high school coaching after the 92 season and didn't really know what to do. But because I had been around so much uh, at these camps and everything, uh, I was doing some television work locally. Like a very good station was doing games of the week. And so all these people would see me at their gyms calling the games as a color commentator after having already seen me either coach against their, their younger son or their older son or at a camp. And they would just ask like, hey, how, do, how does so-and-so work on his jumper? How does he work on his ball handling? And I thought, you know, maybe there's a maybe there's a business here. So I started charging $25 an hour for high school players and $15 for middle school. And I we called it the basketball academy. I built it up to 75 or so clients. I took 60 of them one year to five star, which is the most any group ever went to that camp, which is a very historic camp. And and that slowly kind of worked into getting agents calling me about, hey, can you help with pros? And that's when things kind of really took off. It, it took a while for that. I, I started coaching my first professional player in 99. So six years of high school kids, more or less. Um, I also ran a, another business too to help pay because you can't make a living on just kids. And then uh, I realized I started doing pre-draft stuff in 99. My first player got drafted in 04, Kevin Martin, 
who played 12 years in the NBA. He was like my son. I trained him for three years going into the draft. I had Udonis Hazem was my first ever NBA player after he didn't get drafted, came to train with me. And that's how it all began. It's just, I was helping kids and then I was helping pros. And then 20 years later, I'm still working with NBA players. That's how it happened. It is so cool to hear the journey that you've been on because it started, you, you were talking about 87. That's one year prior to me being born. So yeah. I was thinking, I'm like, man, I'm an old it's man. Been a, it's been well. It's been a minute though, because and it's cool to see the just a brief synopsis of everything that you've been through. Because it's not overnight. It wasn't just this overnight. All of a sudden, you've been coaching professional basketball players for thirty plus years. No, you you started, and it, it actually was almost, in a sense, like an accident in a good way because you had yeah, seen your wife and all sure. the story is funny because it's funny how life takes you on those you know those turns. Sometimes you had an idea of what you were potentially going to do, and then you shifted and you did this, um, and then you already answered the next follow up question for me. Um, but if you maybe could explain, because a lot of coaches, even young coaches like myself, like I have a full-time job. I run three businesses on the side. I enjoy what I do, but coaching's not going to pay the bills necessarily all the time, at least at this level, right? I'm coaching club basketball. It's yeah. not going to pay the bills. Uh, high school basketball, for some, they can make it work. And some of them, they need to have side jobs. And like you were saying, when you were running your business, you had to start doing some other things too to kind of supplement it. Um, I guess if there's any piece of advice, coach, that you could give to those who are potentially in the grind right now yeah. and they're trying to get through and they see the the future potential there, uh, what advice would you give them if they're in the grind and they have that aspiration to eventually get to where maybe you're at or a, a smaller level for that matter? Oh, I do this. I help young people all the time. I help I help uh, guys who finish playing in college get grad assistant jobs. And then, and then after they get that, now they want to get a regular coaching basketball job. And they'll text me or call me, whatever. I say the same thing to all of them. You want to be a coach? Coach. Practice coaching. Get a job coaching. Uh, uh, to me, the mistake I made in 93 was leaving. I, I hated being a teacher. So it really probably wasn't a mistake. I was miserable for a lot of reasons. But uh, if I look back on it, I mean, I got health insurance. My wife also uh, I, I needed health insurance, although she had it for her job too. It was different back in the early 90s. Um, a regular salary. I was done every day at two thirty. I didn't have to coach high school basketball if I didn't want to. I could have stayed teaching and coaching, teaching at the high school, and then I could have done my own private, personal development stuff after hours. And that's what I think most of most people should do is get a high school job, whether it's private or public. Coach JV, coach varsity, coach both, coach freshman if that's what you have to start with. Build an AAU program if you if you do it with your high school players, great. Just take your high school kids. When my son started going to high school, he's 21 now and, and plays at Florida State. So it's not that long ago where he was a high school kid. We would, he had a very, very good AAU team that he played for. But we also would sometimes enter just our high school team into tournaments and because it was just extra practice. So uh, he did both. And um, I coached a lot of it. I, I typically would just volunteer to help other other coaches and on and occasion a dad. But um it's just great practice. So for anyone that wants to be a coach as a business coach, make sure you get a job that can pay the bills. And normally that's teaching. You're done every day. Almost every school is done early afternoon. And then either you coach that high school team, or you can go get your own AU team or both. You can do player development as well. You have your afternoons. You're guaranteed to have your afternoons free, your weekends free and your summers free. Like that's the dream. And that's what I did for my first five years when I was a teacher. I coached, I mean, my, my wife would say, I never stopped scouting. We had no kids at first. I, I, it took 10 years for us to have kids. I never stopped scouting. 
Uh, I was always going to games. Uh, there's no gym in our area that I've been to a lot. I live in Clearwater, Florida. A uh, hundred times, hundreds of times. It, I kind of keep track of all the gyms I've been to globally. And I every time I'm in a new gym, I, I worked at a college. I worked at an NBA player earlier this 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 uh, winter at the University of Miami. He was there in town to play the Heat. And I went to the Miami Hurricanes practice facility. Well, that was a new gym. I'd never been in there before. I've been in Tel Aviv and I just everywhere. Um, Jerusalem. I went to a game in Jerusalem a couple years ago, right before the pandemic. Like that's that's how you get better. You got to put in the time to do those kinds of things. That, then and then you may decide, okay, I want to bubble up into the college level. I've coached a bunch of great players and helped them get there. Or you may decide I can make a living in high school. I can run summer camps. I can do other things. Uh, or you just you, they pay you enough at the private school that you end up not having to do anything else. That's what I think you should do if you want to coach. Then go coach. Man, that's awesome though. That's this is the information that we need on the show. So this I'm going to encourage those. If this is your first time listening, this might be your first time hearing it from me. But if you just took something from Coach right there that you like, pause it, rewind it. If you're on your phone or you're on a computer, whatever, pull out your phone, take a note. There's a notepad on every single smartphone these days. Take some yeah. notes on what he just said. I think it's extremely important. That's the whole point of the show. We got a lot of golden nuggets that you can take with you and apply into your own life. So that is something I would encourage everybody to pause. Take a note, rewind if you have to, and then, uh, yeah, keep listening to the rest of the episode. So, you know, Coach, is, uh, you just sent Jerusalem. I'm curious, maybe you may or may not know of a guy named Tamir Goodman. Do you remember a guy named Tamir Goodman? Tamir very well. Okay, Tamir was in on fact, my show. In fact, I, I know that he was. I saw him when I was in Jerusalem. I went to a Team USA versus Team France Maccabi game, which is like the Olympics for Jewish people. They've been doing it for a long time. And Tamir was there. So I had never met him in person before. We were friends on Facebook. We had messaged a lot. One of my NBA clients back then was Israeli, Gal Mekel. So I was with Gal touring Jerusalem. We went, I promised Doug Gottlieb was the head coach of Team USA. I'd been mentoring Doug a little bit as a coach. And so Doug asked me to come watch the game. We kind of prepped the night before on the phone. I went to the game in Jerusalem after seeing the wall and all that. It was an amazing day. And Tamir came up to me and we sat and watched the game. It was great. Yeah, he's great. Wow, dude. A, what a small world when you when you yeah. really think about it. Because I, I just met you and then all of a sudden there's these connections. It's kind of crazy. I, I just thought Tamir's story was really cool. Just, you know, Maybe. and he's over there now and doing his thing. But um, yeah. super, super cool. So, Coach, I want to ask you a little bit about the current state of the NBA. Uh, it's the 2022-2023 season um, as we are getting near the playoffs and so forth. And... There's a lot of questions on it. I love I love the game. I talk about it quite a bit, especially on my social media channels. I, I converse with a lot of my followers there. And I kind of want to just get your take on it. Having been a part of the game for so long and coaching athletes at that level for so long, I'm just curious your thoughts. I tell I tell my kids all the time. I had a conversation with one of the, the kids I coach. He, he just got a tattoo and it's got a, a snake on there and for Black Mamba. And he's like trying to, he's telling me this all about this Kobe stuff. And the kid's 17. I looked at him, I was like, did you ever get to actually watch Kobe? I'm just curious, like, because by the time he passed away, you were like 13 years old. Hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, I've been watching him my whole life. And I'm like, really, though? Like, it is, <laughs> I'm just like trying to ask him. I was going through this and I was like, I started having this epiphany. This was literally last night. So this is what's funny about it. And I had this like thought, I'm like, man, I'm only 34, but like so much has changed from the time I used to. I'm a jazz fan. So the 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 90s with Malone and Stockton losing to the Bulls because Jordan pushed off the whole shebang, you know, I. I, there's so much that has changed in basketball, even in just the last 20 years. So I'm just curious your thoughts here. Let's talk about the current state of the NBA and talk about who you think is the front runners to win, because it's kind of interesting to me this year. There's so many teams that could potentially get it done. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, I have a I'm a partner of a media company called True Hoop, uh, oh, yeah. which which uh, I I write a newsletter every week. Every NBA team subscribes to it. Pretty much every agent and uh, mainstream media person, you know, all the newspapers, whatever. Um, and then we have lots of subscribers. I'm happy to say we've been doing this now for th- uh, four years. We just finished our fourth year, and I published an article in I want to say September October of 2022 before the season started basically saying that this is the NFL has hit the NBA. Like we have parody in this league. Like, like I've never seen, I've been covering, I joined ESPN uh, to join as a media person in 2007. So I've been kind of covering the league since uh, 2007. So 16 years. And um, I've never seen so much parody. And so it exists to this case. Now nothing's changed. So in the East, I think there's three legitimate contenders and they're the three most likely champions in Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly, in whatever order you want to put them in. Um, the West is crazy. The, the Clippers don't have a great record. They could win the West. I don't think the Warriors can do it because of Wiggins is, looks like he's probably out for the year. I just don't think they have enough athleticism at the wing and defensive ability. Uh, they, that's kind of the secret sauce to Golden State's been their defense when everyone thinks it's Curry in the offense. It's their defense as much as anything. Um, Denver is certainly good, fallible, though. They, they've got some issues. They had a big win the other night that, that mattered. Um, and, and so Memphis, you know, who do you, who do you, who do you really believe in LeBron AD? I don't think so. Memphis with job being out, maybe the rest of the regular season, although he could come back in a week or two. Um, it's wide open, but all those teams are behind the three best teams in the East. You mentioned parody. And as I go through the, the last like couple decades, right. Let's just, let's just say since the 2000, like 2000 on, I mean, Late 90s is Michael. You just figure they're going to win, right? And then early 2000s, it was like Shaq. We kind of figured once Shaq went over the lake, like it was always the Lakers. And then you had LeBron's era, but then you had like a, a four or five-year span with it's the Warriors. Like every There was always like just a front runner every single year, and you're so right. It's like there's a lot of, a lot of competition that's exciting to watch. Now, one thing you just said there that I want to kind of pick apart real quick is defense. Talking about the Warriors' defense, what I've always been um, – really intrigued with is their team defense they they typically have one or two solid one-on-one defenders especially on the wing that can neutralize a, a solid you know small forward or a shooting guard but um i love their team defense i love the way in which they adjust and i want to ask your professional opinion because i've talked to a lot of a lot of my coaches that i'm around here locally in idaho with about this in your opinion do you have a prep like do you think if do you think one-on-one defense like man-to-man defense is more important than team defense in the at the highest level of basketball, or do you think it's the other way around? Well, they're both they're both equally important. You can't have yeah. one without the other. You've got to be able to guard your position uh, uh, without a screen that's set, and you've got to stay in front of your man and make it tough on him to score. You can't really stay in front of uh, players all the time, but you can make it difficult. Put them in a put them in jail. Put them in tough spots. Make them drive. Maybe a direction doesn't like as much or finishing a spot he's not great at. We have metrics for all of that to evaluate. Um, and, and so if you can't, if you can't keep people in front of you, you're really putting a lot of strain on the team defense. On the other hand, teams are a lot of set screens. It's legal in the NBA and, and they're screening more than ever. And so automatically, because of the shooting ability of most of our players that are getting the screen for them, and then oftentimes the screener is a great shooter. He can pop and really stretch the defense. You, you've got a situation where if you're if you got Curry, like last year against Boston, the first three games of the series, Boston went um, – uh, they did not protect the curl. So Steph Curry would use the screen, curl around it. 
the big would stay home, Robert Williams, Al Orford, and Curry could get that three off. And he, he lit he lit him up. I think he even did in game four some. Then they switched it. But their thought, I think, was to try to wear him out, taking all these threes. But nevertheless, if you go over a screen, it's five on four. You're behind the play. And so your team has to gel. And then and then it's all – defense is all math. I'll give you – if you're interested, I'll give you a, a teaching point I think that's going to be pretty smart. Please. Okay. So have you ever played blackjack? Absolutely. Okay, so defense is blackjack. That's all it is. You're, you're, you're the dealer. If you're the dealer in a casino, all right, and you, and you deal out uh, a six and a 10, so someone's got 16, and you're showing seven, eight, nine, 10, right? Or even an ace, for that matter. Uh, the, the player has got to hit. They may bust, but math suggests they hit. Even on 16, it's terrible. Players that don't do it aren't, aren't using math right. They're going to go by gut feel, whatever. It's stupid. It's just math. The player may win. The player may draw five, right? Or, or, or have a 15 and draw a six and get 21 and beat you. But the casino is never going to go broke in that mathematical, mathematical arrangement. It's always the opposite. There's a reason why casinos make a lot of money. Uh, you, as a defender, are dealing out as many 16s as you can. Understanding that they're going to hit some fours and fives and beat you in that possession. The reason why Kevin Durant is the best offensive player we've seen in quite some time is because you can't deal him a 16. Everything is an 11 and under as, as you know, your two cards. Everything is a possible bucket for him. Luca is very similar, right? And if you double, they're too tall to not be able to make almost any pass that's out there. And your defense is, is now scrambling. And there's too many good offensive players out there, especially in the playoffs against good teams. So it's all math. At the high school level, uh, if you just figured out ways to make sure the other team had to keep hitting on 16, meaning take tough shots, you, you, you won't lose very much unless, you know, if your team can't score, not turn the ball over, whatever, uh, you do very well. It's, it's all math. You can't get mad at a defender for giving up a tough shot and the guy scores. I see a lot of high school coaches yelling at their player for getting scored on when he made him take a tough shot, that's all you're trying to do. Make him take tough shots. Different if you're going for steals, whatever, that's a totally different thing. But in terms of base defense, make him take tough shots and you'll you'll do very well. Wow. That is so beautiful. I even I wrote that down as you were talking. Defense is blackjack. Yep. That is awesome. I wrote an article about sense. it. Go to True Hoop and you'll find just search blackjack. I wrote an article about it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. So to that point, you're like, you, you know, the system, cause you knew I was going to ask that question. True hoop. You talked about your newsletter. You talked about all this. How can we get to that though? Is it just truehoop.com? Like, tell us how yeah. we can actually subscribe to your newsletter. Yeah. So truehoop.com. I, we have all sorts of you, you, people, people pay month to month. They can do, I think one, one hundred dollars gets you the whole year and you get, we get two podcasts a week, very heavy on court discussion. Uh, and then we do one to two newsletters a week, right to your email inbox. You can also go to the website and read it, but you get an email to you. And I'm very flattered to know that, that we write articles that every NBA team reads. We actually can track how often they're reading it. Three, four, five, six times they're sharing it. We, uh, our, our founder, my partner, Henry Abbott, who's been covering the NBA for 20 some odd years too, um, he just wrote a brilliant article about uh, the referee scandal kind of going on when uh, um, Scotty Barnes was upset about being ejected from a game and Fred Van Vliet got fined 30 grand for his comments. And, and Henry made an incredible, wrote an incredible article about how, um, how really challenged the NBA is to, to be able to tell us 
how transparent they are. And yet some of the people running their officials um, have a less than seller track record. So it was incredibly successful article. So many people read it uh, and, and real, real VIPs in the industry. So we're, we're trying to write stuff that no one else can write I, because of my background as a coach. I got to see things. There's no other coaches writing really. So okay. this past week, I, I just published an article yesterday about faking the simple act of faking and how it takes a while for these guys to learn how to use fakes, but there's no good player that isn't faking all the time. Jokic, MB, Luca, Curry, Clay, you name it. They're faking all the time. It's the single most, if you, I have lots of players that I text to, I uh, forget about calling her, uh, but I text them and message them. And if you had did a search for what the most common word was, I really think it would be the word fake because I'd use it both ways. I try to get my athletes in the NBA to fake more or in the G League, fake more, but then also don't jump for fake. Stay down, tall up, butt down, ready to maneuver if, they've, if they haven't used their dribble yet. You can't take the fake. And, and yet it's a really problematic issue. If you watch college basketball, all these guys jump for every fake. Drives me crazy. Uh, you're supposed to stay down on them. So that's the kind of stuff I'm writing about. I might, I, br- I broke it on the Warriors offense a bunch of times and their defense. I break down individual players tendencies, all sorts of stuff. This is the type that, see, I know it's perfect that you're saying this coach, because there's people on this that, that listen to this show that are just like me. And that is the stuff I enjoy. I think it's awesome. It's a little bit um, unique. Like you said, there's not a lot of coaches writing um, for that matter. So you bring up the topics that people want to hear. It's the things that people probably think about, but never even put it into words or anything. And that's what you guys are doing. So I'm going to put the link here to truehoop.com. Make sure people can go and check it out. I'd encourage you guys to do so. I think that's awesome. Uh, super, super cool. Now, you have a specific, you know, coaching approach that you, you know, use to to turn these basketball players into stars. And this is something you've been applying, like, uh, like applying for a long time for the years that you've been doing it. And um, I would like to have you break that down and maybe explain how business executives can potentially use these techniques to help out, you know, as they try to grow their companies as well. Yeah, I actually, I also do some corporate speaking and have done that and this exact thing. Player development is people development, right? So what I always try to do is, is see where I think the player can go and, and share that with the player and get their opinion on it and um, have a vision for what we think they can be. And then how do we get there? We first have to have the vision and then we can work on the process of how we get there. What, what do you have to train on? What, how do you have to change your body? What skills do you have to acquire? What game concepts you need to master to, to get to that point? Uh, and then we, we really try to have a plan with what we do. So as a simple example, um, I, don't, I haven't worked with Udonis in years. He, he's long since outgrown me. He could probably teach me stuff now. Um, but when he first got uh, uh, in summer league for Miami and then San Antonio, and I was with him at the Miami, uh, Miami summer league team in Orlando, and I flew to Boston when he was playing for the Spurs summer league. No one knows this. But he was playing for the Spurs summer league team. That team went undefeated in Boston. And I think that's what got Miami to give him a non-guaranteed contract to come to camp. And this was in uh, the 2003 season, 2003-2004 season. And he's been there ever since. Um, but we, we talked about defensive rebounding will get you in the league. We, we really worked that summer on chasing rebounds down, being athletic. His, his body had changed when he went to France for a year. How do we, how do we use this new body as, a, as an athlete? He was always kind of more muscular and heavier, like 40 pounds heavier when he was in the college of Florida. And then I said, and we talk, and his defense was great anyway. And we, I used to always say, uh, rebounding and defense will get you in the league. Shooting will get you paid. 
And so the next year we really focused on his jumper. Back then you didn't shoot threes. Power forwards didn't shoot threes. Right. So we worked on the 18 footer. He was, he began, he started developing a very, very effective mid range jumper. Uh, and that really got him a spot and got him paid. And the rest is history. So we try to have a vision. We try to implement a plan. We're ready to pivot day to day. And always there's some kind of fundamental things you always have to have. Guards have got to be able to dribble the ball. Really, really handle it. I, I can't stress that enough. Big's got to be able to go rebound. You got to go chase balls. It's not just about getting the ball to 12 feet. You got to be in position. Get your active hands ready to go get the ball and not be so occupied with boxing out with your arms that you can't go rebound up high. There's little things like that you have to do. And you have to learn the game. You have to be super fit. I'm a big believer in, in fitness. Um, and those are mainstays. And then you have to have an idea of, okay, how can I excel? Uh, there's, a, there's a myth that you have to grade at any one thing. It, maybe, maybe that used to be the case. That isn't the case anymore. If you're great at one thing and you suck at everything else, you're going to get exposed too much. There's too many skilled players. There's too, if you can be a great shot blocker, but if you can't guard the perimeter, you're in trouble. Real trouble. If you can't shoot a three and, and block shots well, as a big, you better really be able to rebound. But if you can't guard the perimeter, what can I do with you? So I really believe in teaching players the, the whole game. My guards work on big man skills. My big men work on guard skills. Uh, I always talk to trainers who are working with my athletes uh, in the offseason about uh, developing all those skills. We don't want to just focus on what they can do well. We got to improve our weaknesses so that we can't be exposed uh, by the opponent. The opponent's trying to figure out your weaknesses. So don't give them something to figure out. That That's kind of the trick we, that we use. Ooh, this is so awesome. I, like, I'm like taking notes because I cannot wait to like apply some of these in my own coaching. This is so cool. And then in, even in my like my work, I can apply some of this. This is super, super cool. So I have a question for you. You've worked with a lot of athletes. Yeah. Um, of the ones that you can speak of, is there one in particular that, that maybe a story you can tell that, that just stood out to you? You mentioned Udonis like, as, as one of those that you had worked with. Is there an athlete that you've worked with that kind of stood out to you because of their work ethic and their coachability and, and so forth that uh, just stands out in regards to them and their personal growth within the game? I mean, yeah, 99 NBA players, probably 100-some-odd guys have played in Europe. My favorite player of all time is my son. I won't count him. Uh, he, uh, he's going to be 22 soon, and he's got a couple years left to college basketball. Um, I, I guess maybe an interesting story will be Kevin Martin, the, the guy that I had since his freshman year of college. Uh, all these guys have a work ethic. Some work harder than others for sure. Another client of mine for a long time, I'm still really close to him, Corey Brewer. Uh, he's a coach now with the Pelicans. Uh, Corey, Corey would do anything you asked him to do, but he wasn't always the most motivated because he was just too talented. We've talked about this a bunch. He, the game is too easy for him. Unbelievable basketball IQ, brilliant thinker, um, crazy smart, understood the game. He's going to be a great head coach if he wants to one day in the NBA or college. Um, 6'9", super fast, super quick. But I don't think he really ever had to grind on improving. He just wanted to hoop all the time. You can't just hoop. You have to think. And, and, and I think he learned his lesson and is going to be a great coach because of it. Um, Kevin was a little bit different. Kevin was not a self-motivated guy, but he would give him, he would give you a chance as a coach to push him. And so my favorite story about Kevin, I have a million where, I mean, he's like my son, uh, Kevin, when he got really successful with the Kings, who was scoring 20 plus a game every year for Sacramento and then Houston, uh, and then Minnesota, he's averaged over 20 for all three franchises. Um, he was part of the Jordan brand. That was his favorite player. He turned down more money with Nike to just be with Jordan because that was his idol. 
So he, so every summer, Kevin actually bought a home here uh, in Clearwater, Florida. He's from Ohio um, because he just felt like, I'm just going to train with you all summer. Why, why do I need to rent a hotel or rent a house? I'm just going to buy a home. And so he, he still has properties here. He's a big real estate guy now. Um, so Kevin would be here living on the beach. Uh, uh, the gym we use typically is like 20 minutes from Clearwater Beach. Very famous beach. Very beautiful beach. And he would have a, a Friday night Los Angeles uh, meeting with Jordan Brand like every August. Maybe July, yeah, August, I think. And, and uh, you'd be done on Sunday. And Kevin, uh, late like dinner on Sunday was the last thing. Kevin would always fly out after our Friday morning workout. Uh, and then he would f- take the red eye Sunday night. He would get in at 6.37 in the morning, Monday morning. And he would drive to the gym, which was on the way to his home. And he would park his car and go to sleep. Because he was so afraid if I drive another 25 minutes to the beach and go to sleep for three hours, because we'd work out like at 10, uh, I'm afraid I won't wake up. Uh, in time, I don't want to miss Monday morning practice. So I don't ever remember waking him up. He insists that I did. I don't remember that I did. But someone would wake him up, one of our players, one of our assistants, knock on the window, like, let's go. Because he did not want to miss. And and even, and I'll say this summer, I had uh, a very, one of the best players in the world work for me all summer. And he did the same thing. He didn't go to sleep in the parking lot. But he took a red eye and his brother was living with him. And his brother, he told his brother, make sure you get me up. I'm not missing practice on Monday. That's the dedication of the world's best players. Like they just, they, 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 if they get to the gym, they're going to bust their ass. They're not going to ever dog it. NBA players don't dog it. They may skip a practice. That's a different thing. But not many of them do that. Certainly not the best ones. They're going to they're gonna avail themselves to get better. And, they, and there's no fucking around. There's no screwing around. I'd, I'd, I, I would sometimes have trouble going from NBA workouts to my son's workouts with their teams who are a bunch of goofy kids. And I would flat out tell them, like, you don't understand. I, I haven't coached kids in a while now. I'm coaching the world's best players who don't blink when I talk. And they ask brilliant questions. And they, do, and they don't ever, ever end a drill on a miss or a mistake. Oh, no, no. I'm not finishing that drill until I make three in a row or two in a row, whatever. And then I get to these, you know, silly boys, you know, who are 14 or 12 or whatever, even in high school. And, and, and I said to them, I'm not going to lower my standards for you. And kids will normally do what you tell them to do, especially if you know what you're doing as a coach, which I do. And my, one of my, I think my sons, I, I was telling my brother the other day, my son's lost more games at Florida State the last two years than he has pretty much his whole career maybe combined. He has not lost a lot. Florida State's had some rough luck with injuries, whatever. It's the ACC. It's a tough league. Um, but he's won a lot. And I would argue that's a big reason why is because the commitment that his teammates made in part because of me and in part because of him, like, you know, he was, he was going to make sure, no, we're going to focus. We're not here to fool around. We want to win. And that's what NBA players typically do every day. And that's such awesome feedback too. Cause it's just a, it's eye opening. Like Kevin Martin, I used to watch him and, and just as a basketball fan, I've studied the game my whole life. I played like, I love the game. And yeah. 
I always remember he had like as a shooter myself, like that's what my specialty was. I was a three and D guy through high school and such. And, you know, I wish I was more athletic, but that's what I was. I always watched him because he had the weirdest shot that yep. everyone said it said was unorthodox, but he perfected that. And he was so good, man. Like he was so good. Any team he went to, he was good. He even I if I'm not mistaken, coach, I think he had a stint with the Thunder um for oh, a short he, period. Oh yeah. He 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 was in the James Harden trade. James yes, Harden. That's what it was. Kevin went to OKC. They won 60 games that year. They were the best team in the West. They really felt they would have beat Miami and, and, and won the championship. I'm not sure they would have, but they might have. They had Durant, Westbrook, and Serge, and Perk, and uh, Tabo Sevalosha. Kevin came off the bench. He was the James Harden role. And all of their metrics were better with Kevin there than they had been with James because he was less of a, of a ball-dominant guy. They were destroying everybody. He shot 40-some-odd percent from three. Average what, 15, 16 a game. They barely played him in fourth quarter, so they blew everyone out. And in Houston, round one, uh, up uh, 2-0, uh, Pat Beverly tried to steal the ball from Russell Westbrook, who was calling timeout. They cracked knees. It tore Russell's ACL. The, the Thunder won that game, went up 3-0 against Houston, lost the next two, then won game four, won that series in six, beat Memphis in game one, and then lost four straight. Uh, because without Russell, they just didn't have a, a guard that could do it. And I think Scotty Brooks panicked as a coach, but whatever. That was 10 years ago, more than that maybe. But, yeah, he he uh, he had an amazing career, you know, 12 years. And I knew him since he was a nothing freshman at Western Carolina. No one, He's the only first-round pick in the school's history. Uh, I've had people from that conference tell me they think he helped Steph Curry because the only other first-round pick from that conference – was a guy that the Magic took years before, and he failed miserably. Kevin's success gave the NBA more confidence that this guy, he'll be fine. I, I was honored to be asked to induct Kevin to the Western Carolina Hall of Fame. I think it was 20, November 2019. Kevin asked me, he's like, Coach, you have to be the one to introduce me. And I had a number of people who had been following the Southern Conference for a long time, and they were the ones telling me that, that they've heard from people like at Davidson that, Kevin's success gave Steph, gave NBA teams more confident that, oh, this guy can translate. Look at look how Kevin did. And 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 Steph's teams were better than Kevin's in college. So yeah, he had an amazing career and and yeah, I love him like a son. At my our kid, we're Jewish, our kids, Bar and Bat Mitzvah, our twins. Um, he was an usher for us. He helped people to their seats and everything. He danced my daughter her at her B'nai Mitzvah party that night. Um, they're a family to me, yeah. Man, I love to hear that stuff, man. I just always respected him as a player. I didn't know any of the personal he's stuff. He's a great person, cool. too. Oh, that's awesome, man. So cool. Um, Coach, you, you had mentioned uh, right before we started recording, I want to talk about this because of the listener base that we have. Uh, I got a lot of athletes, a lot of younger athletes um, that are in the high school range and then even you know in the college range and, and their parents as well. And you had talked about a business um, that you, you are, you know, rolling out right now and, and trying to help some of these younger athletes as they're getting into colleges and so forth. And one of the things that we had talked about was the transfer portal. Um, I've had this conversation with other other coaches as well, um, college coaches for that matter, even at the junior college level, and how the transfer portal has impacted them. And yep. it's making it a little bit more difficult to navigate those waters, not only as a coach, but for these athletes coming through. And so I kind of want you to elaborate on that. I want to give you this opportunity to kind of share this because I think from the brief discussion we had prior to recording, this could be monumental and could definitely help out some of the people that are listening to my show. Oh, sure. Great. So we formed a, a company, uh, literally, as we speak, we're doing it called the Pro Training Center Recruiting. 
my my MBA training is the pro training center. So PTC recruiting is basically building a better marketplace so that players who think they're good enough to play in college and the colleges who are looking for players that can help them win games can have a, 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 a better time connecting, finding the right fit so that players aren't put in the transfer portal a year or two later. On the last three uh, days, over 900 players have entered the transfer portal for men's college basketball. That's a gigantic failure at the, high, at, the, at the player level and at the coaching level. And so we're aiming to build a much better marketplace so that we don't have that kind of uh, a failure. So basically what we do is we, we're, we're already doing, we've already got a bunch of clients, I'm happy to say, you're not even advertising yet, uh, just from people calling us and asking us for help. So basically I help the athlete play better that's the same thing I do for my NBA players. I will tell you honestly, I won't always be doing this. As our business grows, I'm going to have to hire people to work with the high school and the, and the post-grad kids because we take both. I, I have to focus on my NBA players. But for now, I'm helping them too. So I'm helping them train smarter, be, uh, understand the game better, play better. Uh, they get clips from me just like my NBA players do. They get notes from me. Uh, we help guide them play better. Like, for example, we've got guys about to start their AAU season. So our, our PTC members are getting guidance from me on how to play better so that you have more value for the college program that you're hoping to play for. Just like I'm trying to build value for my NBA players that can pay more money. That's the name of the business. How do I build your value to make more money? So PTC recruiting, how do I build your value so that more teams want to offer you a scholarship? And then you can choose which one you think is the best fit. The reason why a lot of kids transfer is because they went to the only school that offered. And the school took you because they couldn't get the six other guys they wanted. It's a bad fit. And so you fail a little bit your first year and you're out. So the other side of our business is my partner has placed almost 50 kids to college the last four years out of his post-grad business. And there's a curriculum we use to market our players. We, we do a great job analyzing and projecting their talent, which is what I'll be doing for this business. And then I'll give him the projection where we think the player can flourish, what level. And then he targets those colleges that we think could use this player and if they need that position. He's in touch with the college coaches all the time. They let them know what they're looking for. And then we engender that connection. We give them their stats. We break down all their clips so that we tell the college coaches out where they're going to, exactly what they're going to see. We're doing it now for a bunch of guys who are just graduating. And then we also have underclassmen. Uh, and then and then hopefully we have 10 schools want to recruit a player instead of one. And the, the player can have a much better, uh, much better options choosing his best fit. We have a client, very, very talented player from Canada, six foot eight, that was getting a ton of low major offers, but he's a high major player. And once we made some phone calls to schools that trust us, gave them the tape, had them call. We, we're, we work with the high school coaches. We work with the, with the post-grad coaches. We're not, we're not looking to tweet anything out. We want the high school coaches to get all the credit, but we'll use our connections, connect A to B, and now we're starting to get high major offers. And I don't care if he goes low major. He just wanted the option. And now it's up to him to pick the best spot. And so the other part is once they're in school, we're, we're actually creating a, 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 a curriculum for them the same way I do my NBA players, just not as intensive. My NBA guys get clips and notes from me almost every day. We won't do that for college. And we always train our players in context of what the college coach wants. So we will not, for example, tell a player to shoot threes if the college coach doesn't want to shoot threes. That's just as an example. We, we get an understanding of what your college coach wants. We try to help guide you in that environment so that you can play better. Because that's the other thing. Is you're, you're not going to be – a lot of these kids transferring are being told to transfer. They're not choosing to transfer. 
They're being told, it's a one-year deal scholarships, four one-year deals or five in some senses. You're not good enough. We need you to leave. That's it. You're not ruining your scholarship. Our goal is to help you play well enough where you don't leave unless you want to leave because you can play at a different level or you just aren't happy. You don't like your teammates or whatever. The school doesn't, doesn't work with you, but we don't want you to be asked to leave. So that's what we're doing. You can find us on Twitter at the, I think it's PTC recruiting, maybe PTC underscore recruiting, or hit me up at Coach Thorpe, one word, Coach Thorpe, and I'll put you in touch with our guy in charge of that part of it. And uh, this is the kind of year. We're going to do women as well. We haven't started it yet because I haven't found my coaches yet. But uh, we're going to – and then we're going to help every sport. We, we, we have two volleyball players already trying to get help. And I've got the women to help her, help them, the girls, but we're not doing it just yet. We want to focus on basketball first, get everything ironed out, make sure we know how to do every single thing perfectly, and then we'll open up to football, baseball, uh, softball, all of it. I love it. And I, and you answered the question. I, I'm going to put the links here in the description uh, so you guys can go uh, follow PTC Recruiting. And then Coach Thorpe uh, will we'll, we'll throw your, your Twitter handles on there uh, so people know where to go. Perfect. But uh, I also wanted to, as we as we wrap up the interview, Coach, I yeah. wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned you've done corporate um, you know, trainings for people. Uh, you mentioned that earlier. Is there a way, do, do they still contact you through Twitter or social yeah. media, or is there a different uh, website for? Yeah, I think I have a, a Coach David Thorpe website, but I, they could just hit me up. I'm, I'm super busy, and so it would have to be a really great thing. I'm not yeah. looking to speak for $500 somewhere, but I, I've, I've spoken to conferences with 250 CEOs. That was great in Atlanta a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. And that's when I kind of stopped doing it when the pandemic hit. You couldn't really do it anymore. And I started doing more of my training again. But yeah, I, I, we're all in the, in the person development business if you're in player development. And the, when I spoke at the CEO convention, it was all CEOs of mid-level, like, like the, the eighth largest accounting firm was there. They were hosting it, or maybe fifth, sixth largest, but not the first largest, second largest. And their point to me was, we can't, the, the CEO told me, we can't afford to hire the Harvard, or the Ivy League accounting school grads we hire the Georgia Tech grad. That's a quote from him. And we develop them so that they're good enough to be Ivy League level. And so that's why they asked. That's why he had said, you, you'll, every CEO needs to learn human development. How do you create talent, develop talent, project talent, and then inspire talent? As a coach, we are first in the business to inspire. That's in my book, Basketball is Jazz, that I wrote in 2017. We have to be inspiring. We have to be inspiring. I, I do with my NBA players. Uh, I have a player right now in the NBA that's frustrated with his role. His team is very good. And I told him, I told him a story where oh, a few years ago now, maybe six, seven years ago, we had a major hurricane coming to my area of Florida. And we thought we may lose our house, like 200 mile per hour winds, no house can survive. So I had a, I had a, we did, we, we, it was coming quickly. It, it turned, it took a turn and all of a sudden we were in the crossfire. So we grabbed our best artwork at our house. We grabbed our cash. We grabbed my kids, my wife, our dog. We secured the house in 20 minutes as best we could, and we got the hell out of town. At, at 5.30 in the morning, we left because I don't want to be stranded on a road for two days and all of a sudden a hurricane comes. And I told my player, at that moment, our kids and my wife and my dog needed me to be a leader. And I had to get through that storm. And so you're learning how to get through storms. Your whole life, you've been getting through storms. This is just another one. You cannot bitch and moan and complain to referees. We got to lock in, get better every day. Respect the process, respect that you have a job in the NBA and that you play every game and, and appreciate it and work and work and work and work and you'll get through this storm too. And he, it's exactly what I needed to hear. And then very, his next game, he played much better 
uh, and was inspiring to his teammates. And that's how you have to handle it. And so that's, as a coach, we are first in the business to inspire. I say it every day. I absolutely love it. And you had mentioned, you referenced your book. I'm going to also link that here. Basketball is jazz Great. stories and lessons from a basketball lifer. I, I love that. Um, I'm looking forward to, I mean, I, I'll have to contact you after this too. Just, yeah. I'm so I'm geeking out, man. I'm just geeking out. And I don't mean to be a fanboy. I'm trying to be professional in the media, but I just love what you're talking about, man. So the last question I have for you coach, as we wrap it up is what would you consider in your, your career, media coaching, all of this? I mean, you're putting everything together. Um, and, and you're literally like, what I'm looking to to do eventually, right? I love what you're doing and you've found a way to piece it all together. What's the biggest life lesson that this whole entire journey has taught you? I was, I'm going to give you two. So the first one is none of it matters. Uh, uh, if you have a family, uh, that's what most important. I lost my dad January of last year and I'll never see my dad again. You know, I, we weren't best friends, but I loved him. I called him every day during the pandemic. He and my mom, and uh, his last three or four months, I, I saw him pretty much every day. He was at a hospital right by my house. And I saw my brother, my, my, one of my two brothers, who was always there, and my sister. And we only had one person at a time in his hospital room and as, as my dad was dying. And I, I don't ever get a chance to say hello to him except when I dream about him. And I don't want, um, I don't ever want to take that for granted for my, my wife and kids. Uh, and so to me, that's the most important thing. If you have a family to love, love them up, enjoy that. My, my kids know, my son especially now, being involved in college basketball, he knows what I sacrificed. He knows I turned on NBA jobs as a head coach, as a GM, because I, I, I couldn't be the dad I wanted to be and the husband I wanted to be if I took those jobs. I can do them now. My wife doesn't care anymore. She's, she'll follow me wherever I go. And they're grown. I don't want to do it, though. I, I like the life that, that I've created. But they know that they were first for me. That is what matters to me most. Maybe someone else feels differently. Not to me. So that would be lesson one. Uh, the, probably the most important lesson, though, separate from family. My favorite word is decency. Uh, I, I get a chance to do the, the biggest podcast in the world. I do my own twice a week. I'm happy to be with you here today. I, don't, I never asked you once, how many listeners do you get? I don't care. Uh, I, you're trying to do a, a decent thing for fans, for sports fans. Uh, I have the time here and there to spend an hour with you. Happy to do it. Uh, I would hope that anyone who, who has reached out to me in the past will at the very least feel like Coach Thorpe's a decent man. That's my favorite word. I try to live it. I try to live a decent life. Uh, I'm a kind person. Uh, I have enemies, mostly because I kicked their ass when I was coaching them. Not so much since then. I don't really coach much anymore. I just coach individuals. Uh, I, I don't care. If you, if you can't like me, something's wrong with you. I'm a nice person. I'm a caring, thoughtful man. And I don't, I don't beat my chest and think of myself as an alpha male. Uh, I know I'm a leader because I've been leading for a long damn time. I don't have to beat my chest to prove it. Uh, I, I can do it quietly and decently and professionally. You'll never see me on social media talking about my great players. Who do we talk about today? Retired guys. Or, or in Udonis' case, he, he's pretty much an assistant coach yeah. now. He's not really playing anymore. He's the highest paid assistant coach of all time. Um, I, I think that, that if we're all more decent to each other, uh, we're better off for it. And, and, you're, and if you're a coach, your players will respect that. My players, I know, respect the kind of man I am. They, they always hear me talk about my wife in glowing terms. They typically text or call me, mostly call me when they get engaged because they don't mean something to me that they found their significant other. It's not so easy. And so if everyone would just be more decent, and for your players, coach the hell out of them. For you that are coaches, you in particular, 
coach them hard, love them up, be decent. I'll leave you with this. My um, my wife was talking to my son a couple years ago about tough coaches. And, and he was complaining about how tough some coaches. I mean, he has friends all over the country playing for tough coaches. His He loves his coaches at Florida State. And she said, wouldn't you say your dad is it is tougher than all of them? I've seen him, coach. I know how tough he is. And Mike, Ma- I wasn't there in the room, but Max told his mom, he said, yeah, but dad builds relationships with his players. So they don't take it that way because he invests in them as people, whether making sure they have rides home, making sure they're doing their schoolwork, whatever. And so he can coach them as hard as he wants because they know he loves them. And I tell every player I have right now in the NBA, I have to love you like you're my own son. I tell them, I don't. How can I love you like my own child, my own boy and girl? But I have to try to, because if I don't try to, that means I don't think about your off-court stuff. I'm not thinking about your sleep habits. I'm not thinking about your eating habits, right? Lou Aldang is a guy I trained a long time ago. He's retired a long time. He would, back then there was no texting. He would call me from his hotel room at midnight or one in the morning sometimes. Coach, can you look up? There was no smartphones then. Can you look up? sodium in a cheeseburger at the Ritz-Carlton. I, I tell you it's a true story because he was trying to limit his sodium intake because of the conversation we had to lean out a little bit more and sodium retains water. And he was a bear for details. I wouldn't be caring about sodium intake for my player if I didn't try to love them like they're my own child, right? So at least they know I made the effort. And most players love that. Almost all players, unless they're psychopathic, they love being loved. When you care about them beyond the court, you got them for everything. And so, so I try to live my life that way. And the day I stop doing that, I probably should stop coaching because players deserve a better coach than what I would be. Absolutely love it. And I appreciate you, you know, sharing both of those lessons because that's that's huge, not only for myself, but for anybody who might come across this show, um, whether it be now or in a couple of weeks, who knows? Uh, but I appreciate that coach. And I just want to say, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me and taking time out of your day and being decent, you know, and being, and treating me with respect and being able to, you know, join the show with all of your accolades and all the things you've been able to accomplish. I just appreciate you taking the time to, to join me and share that uh, with me and my audience. And I hope for those who are listening, you guys have taken notes. I hope you guys have taken some of this insight and that you can apply it into your own lives as we move forward in our own careers, whether you're an athlete or if you're a fan of the game, or maybe you're in your work environment or your family and you've got to step up to be a leader. Hopefully you can apply some of this into your own lives. So coach, I just want to say thanks once again for uh, joining the podcast. Uh, It's my pleasure. Best of luck and enjoy March Madness. I appreciate you, sir. For all those listening, make sure you tune in. We'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.